Yes, welcome along. Happy Easter Saturday. It's Chappie the British Butler. It's Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese, episode number 55. I do have a little bit more energy today. Just a, just a tad more. Just a little bit more. Uh, an extra half cup of tea really did the trick today. And I'm sort of spring cleaning. It's a beautiful day here in Colorado. And I've decided to set up an old-fashioned clothesline extending out of my window, attached to the tree. And I have all my tidy whities all my white shirts, um, all my unmentionables hanging on the line uh, for everybody to see. But you know, nothing's better than a, uh, than a fresh breeze around the crotch area of the knickers. I mean, nothing is better than that. It makes one feel alive, I have to say. So uh, whilst they're out there freshening up, I'm still dosing up on uh, a winter mixture of hot toddies because I've still got this cold. I, I cannot shake this cold off. This dastardly cold that Victoria gave me has been hanging on uh, like beggary. I tell you, it's, uh, it, I mean, I'm doing my best, uh, taking all the different elixirs to try to uh, figure out what's going on and how to, uh, how to fix it. But uh, nothing, uh, nothing as of yet. It's, it's just right still in the chest there. And uh, I probably need some sort of uh, JCB to dig it out. Um, but I am going away for a few days. Uh, so I need to sort of... Um, I need to lift myself out of this cold slumber and see if I can uh, see if I make myself feel a little bit better. Um, but who knows? It could be it could be tree pollen allergies as well, and uh, maybe that thistle soup I made last night uh, probably isn't. Uh, maybe I'm slightly allergic to the thistle, so maybe that's part of the issue as well. So, um, but it's lovely to be here. I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to be better on on on, on doing the podcast on a Saturday. I know the last couple of weeks we had the snow and I wanted to record some footage in the snow for you lovely listeners out there. And that's what I did. And then last week I was just a little bit too busy. Couldn't raise myself from my uh, butler dreams to record the podcast. But I'm uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed or bunny-tailed, saying the disease Um Maybe that's what I need to do. I need to get one of those uh, bunny outfits, maybe with a little bow tie on and... Uh, go and wag my tail around the neighborhood and see if I get on next door like the person with the piece of cheese I mean I'm wondering if he's gone from a slice of American I mean you wouldn't want stinky like stinking bishop smeared over your windscreen um, or I, I don't think you would want um, you know anything like a Stilton anything a little moldy over the windscreen this is a neighbor who some wag some naughty kid has been laying cheese on his windscreen every day for the last week and um, I think he's getting a little bit perturbed by the whole um, by the whole situation I mean he's very very upset by the whole thing so for all my American listeners out there there's a couple of them couple why don't you look up online and watch one of the British classic comedy movies one of the carry-on movies I try carry-on camping or carry-on doctor I mean, they're a little naughty, they're a little bawdy, and, um, you know, they're a little risque, made in the 60s, 70s. I think one was made in the 90s, but don't watch that one. Carry on, doctor. Carry on at your convenience. Carry on, girls. I mean, if you if you like Cheeky Chappy, your butler here, you'll love the, you'll love the Carry On movies, but uh, they're of a time. They're of an age. Let me put that, put it that way. As I'm, a, I'm of an age as well. I would say, 
So here we are. It's 75. 75 not out. I um, I hope to have some blistering cover drives, elegance personified today, um, if I can. Um, I'm going to indulge a little today because it's my birthday on Monday. I'm uh, 21 again, plus 24, 23. I can't do mathematics. Oh my gosh. So, um, yes, so I'm going to indulge a little bit today. Not necessarily on the audio version of the podcast, but I do have this little musical version in the podcast um, as well, um, which is on Spotify, and you can hear my playlist. Um, the ones yesterday, I do apologize for some of the explicit language. Uh, had some excellent rap songs on there. Naughty Sean Ryder was on there with Black Grape, Reverend Black Grape, and he was, uh, he was swearing like bagottery I mean he was really uh, giving it some oomph in terms of the uh, cursing and swearing so anyway uh, I do register this uh, podcast as explicit and you're thinking probably it's like you know it's like a gentle after waft of an afternoon breeze chappy why would you identify this as explicit well you know some of the topics are a little bit cheeky like we're talking about um, uh, penis shaped shoehorn eclairs later on today maybe um, so, you know, that might be described as slightly naughty, slightly uh, slightly out there as well. Um, we never really delved into the scotch eggs wrapped in brownie, uh, uh, brownie crumbs uh, yesterday. We never looked at uh, Boris Johnson quoting Shakespeare um, uh, yesterday. Uh, and also we, we, we talked about Prince Harry's new job as chief impact officer, but never went uh, in any more depth than that. And also uh, with Steve the Plumber as well. Uh, we never, uh, never really uh, went on and talked about Steve the Plumber anymore. I mean, also there was a report um, from uh, when the Trump administration was still in office about these UFOs. We're going to have an update on UFOs. Um, he's going to reveal all, uh, you know, whether it's Area 51 or Roswell or anything like that. Apparently they're going to reveal some information about UFOs. We never talked, I know it was mentioned, about Candice Brown's uh, rhubarb and custard creme brulee. Oh, my rhubarb and custard. I mean, that's, you've got the two ends of the palate there, the sweet and the sour. Absolutely delicious. Quentin Crisp eccentric cleaning habits as well. The lovely Quentin Crisp will be uh, mentioned and talked about later on. Um, the, uh, also, the bedpan reimagined for a man of a certain age. Um, also, um, moustache wax and uh, hair nets for men. Um, also, um, we have the Freddy and Jason movies and King Kong versus Godzilla. What are two other duels, two other dynamic duos that you would like to see in the movies that are probably a little bit more unlikely, I would say. Um, also, a mire of marmalade we'll be talking about. Um, and uh, hundreds uh, at a Manchester rave amid warnings about gatherings. Uh, I, I surmise the rave in, uh, you know, after COVID, post-COVID, what it's going to look like. Uh, also, hatred of flip-flops. Should I get a third nipple? Big men doing yoga. Uh, the wonders of Vicks Vapor Rub. Um, and also, as I said, the cream penis shoe pastry eclairs. Um, the, the gentleman, and then he be mentioned a couple of times, who's paid his last paycheck in oily pennies. Your top 10 chocolate bunnies. We have an enigmatic English eccentric habit. We're talking about mushroom coffee. We may have a medieval Tinder swiping little competition as well. So it's fun packed. Will we have any more suburban crime watch as well? We had uh, a gentleman yesterday um, 
in the white van. He turned out to be delivering parcels. Hopefully there'll be some more suburban crime watch as well. So there we go. Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese, episode 75. You can listen to the audio version or you can listen to on Spotify the musical version as well. I mean, I like both. Don't get me wrong. So the Daily Beast reports Boris Johnson faces legal trouble after claim he quoted Shakespeare as foreplay during an affair. The American businesswoman who had branded the British Prime Minister cowardly wet noodle. I mean, I'm sure Boris would prefer to be al dente than a cowardly wet noodle over their alleged affair is coming back to haunt him. The British Prime Minister likes to recite Shakespeare to get him in the mood for sex, according to the American businesswoman, whose extraordinary claims of a long affair with Boris Johnson could potentially land him in legal trouble. It's been rumoured for years that Jennifer Curie had a sexual relationship with Johnson, but she finally opened up about it this weekend. The businesswoman offered stomach-turning details of Johnson's proclivities, telling the Daily Mirror that the pair would read the Bard's work aloud before having sex on the sofa in the PM's family home. Uh, we moved on to reading Macbeth, which was kind of foreplay routine we had. Um, I mean, you wouldn't want to read Macbeth with Lady Macbeth with blood on her hands. It could be an awful sort of, you know, situation there, I think. Um, let's skip to the good stuff, she said. I love that about you. Uh, we want to get to the good part. After we made love, I felt conflicted being there in his family home and seeing him like this, but I couldn't help but feeling and love the feeling of being desired. Akira, claims the fling lasted for four years, also shared sordid details of text messages he allegedly sent her. He apparently requested a photographer with no clothes on. No, oh, no clothes on, Jennifer. Um, after she sent the picture, wow, Johnson said, uh, is, is how he reacted to uh, a naughty nude of a curie, enough to make a bishop kick a hole in a stained glass window. Um, while the salacious details have been the source of great amusement in the British press, they could have serious consequences. After its initial story, Mirror reported that Johnson could be forced to give evidence about his alleged relationship. But it makes you wonder, though. I mean, I don't think Macbeth, I mean, Macbeth wouldn't be a foreplay type of thing, but, you know, maybe like the delightful Oberon Titania I know a bank where wild thyme blows where ox slips and nodding violets grow quite over canopy with luscious woodbine with sweet musk roses and with eglantine now that might be better but I mean he kind of lush polyhoric I knew him Horatio a fine fellow of infinite jest I mean that wouldn't if you're holding a skull in the air that doesn't get you in the mood for any sort of nookie or anything like that or maybe um, Henry V's speech from Agincourt I mean, I thought for some, um, you know, Land of Hope and Glory or Jerusalem might be a might be a loin a loin warmer, so to speak. But you know, if, if we had Henry V's speech from Agincourt, what he wishes so, my cousin Westmoreland, no, my fair cousin, if we would mark to die, were enough to do our country loss, and if to live, the fewer men, the greater share of honour. God's will, I pray thee. Wish not one more man, by Jove I am covetous for gold, nor care who I doth feed upon my cost. It yearns me, if men my garments wear, such outward things dwell in my desires. If not to be a sin to convert honour, I am the most offending soul alive, no faith my cause. Wish not a man from England, God's peace, I would not lose great an honour. As one man more methinks would share from me for the best hope I have, oh, do not wish no more, rather proclaim it, Westmoreland, through my host. And he goes on, he goes on, and rouse him in the name of Crispian, 
He has lived this day and see old age will yearly on the vigil feast his neighbours say tomorrow is St. Crispian's. Then we'll strip his sleeve and show his scars, these wounds I had on Crispin's day. Old man forget, yet all shall forget, but he remembers the advantages. What feats he did that day, then our shall our names familiar in his mouth. Henry the King, Bedford, Exeter, Warwick and Talbot, Salisbury and Gloucester. And Crispin, Crispian shall never go by from the day to the ending of the world, but we shall be remembered that fought with us upon St. Crispin's day. Well, I sort of bastardized a bit and cut it down a bit. There's a very long speech, but you imagine, you know, if if Boris can recite that whole speech, I mean, he has he has the stamina of uh, of a you know a, a whole bunch of rabbits. I mean, probably add it like rabbits. If if he can if he can recite St Crispin's speech, I mean, that's four or five minutes worth there. You know, you have to take your hats off to. Boris's stamina for, you know, maybe a short rhyme and couplet as how long I thought it would be going on for, but uh, but he can do the whole Crispin's A's speech. Hats off to him. Where art thou, my lovely? So Prince Harry has a new job title. It's Chief Impact Officer. So the Duke of Sussex have rallied around since the loss of royal titles and privileges since he quit the firm, but last week he got two new jobs. Um... Harry is now the Chief Impact Officer, or Chimpo, Chimpo, <clears throat> of the Lice coaching and mental health uh, company Better Up. Soon after, he was unveiled as a commissioner on the information disorder, SIDO, for the Aspen Institute, a U.S. think tank. Tesla's Elon Musk refers himself as uh, Technoking, of the company founded, and his chief financial officer is master of the coin. But when it comes to U.S. corporate speak, Harry's new titles take the crown. You can see why the Better Up's bosses, Alexei Robinshaw, felt that he better make Harry a chief. By rights, though, as of his first job title, shouldn't he be working all hours and making the tea and hoovering up any nuggets of wisdom from old hands? He's certainly got the right look for it. His favoured skinny, uh, light grey suit makes him look like he's off for his first day in telesales. What will Harry be actually do uh, at his new role at Better Up? So far, he's been offered a few platitudes, but lifting up uh, critical uh, dialogues around mental health one man who can uh, help explain why he's been hired as Anthony Painter, who's Chimpo of the Royal Society of Arts of London. Painter said it's not entirely jargon-free explanation. He said uh, it delivers or impacts precisely that to customers, shareholders, partners, stakeholders, and fundraisers. It's about saying this is who we are and this is what we do, and we're determined to held, be held accountable. I wonder if, like, mid-afternoon he has to stop for afternoon tea. I wonder if Terry, uh, if you wouldn't mind making me a... A couple of a couple of twinings, you know. It's 3:30, and uh, it's time for me to have a, a cup of tea and a biscuit. I like to dunk the biscuit in, and then I'll go back to uh, creating great impact in my new my new role. Um, but uh, I want to, you know, first uh, impact with with the biscuit dipped in tea, and uh, have my afternoonses and my uh, my three o'clockers or my 3:30s, and uh, enjoy that uh, soggy biscuit, and uh, then get back to work. Uh, diligently for another hour and then I'll uh, go home and we'll have a lovely uh, glass of Pims and a game of croquet with Megan and uh, she'll uh, probably hit me uh, hit me up the bottom with the mat croquet mallet again and uh, rather like that rise to boarding school so one is a pioneering fossil hunter called Mary whose contribution to science has just been celebrated on screen by Kate Winslet the other is a retired plumber called Steve 
He's taking a hammer and chisel to the big old rock on the Dorset coast. One thing from my plumbing days is I can use both hands, says Steve Etches. Says that he's been switching tools and demonstrating how he digs up 150 million year old anonymities. Uh, but uh, not much would appear to unite Etches and Mary Anning, who initially unheralded, unheralded devotion to fossils 200 years ago, uh, is the basis of Ammonite, the film which stars uh, Saras Ronan hitting the streaming sites on Thursday. While Etches is not held back by his, uh, by his sex, is in many ways Anning's successor, a passionate, prolific amateur whose nose for significant find finds butt up against a sceptical establishment. There is still this Mary Anning thing where you've uh, not gone to university and got all those qualifications, you're not really accepted, said Etches, who thousands of discoveries in and around Kimmeridge Bay include uh, 60 new species. They include a uh, Isiosaur, named after him only last December, uh, Petrosaur, that Etches named after Gerald Scarf, the former Sunday uh, Times uh, cartoonist who demonised Margaret Thatcher's the pointy nose, Tory Dactyl. Well, you know what? It looks like uh, this this movie looks very interesting. I love love a good paleontologist movie, and I also love to walk the dinosaur. Okay, so I had been thinking, you know, I'm, I'm getting to that age, nearly 44, where I have to I have to use the restroom. The garderobe, the bathroom, the toilet, the loo. Many times, and I, you know, I need to, I need to have a tinkle. And um, I was thinking, thinking the bedpan or the pan you have under the bed that they had in Victorian medieval, even probably Tudor times, uh, is has become rather unfashionable. Now I, I think I want to bring the bedpan back for men of certain age and even ladies of certain ages. I mean, I think it's gone amiss. I mean, you can have it a, a beautiful porcelain bowl. You could have it silver. I mean, just imagine sitting on a silver bedpan. That would wake you up. The coldness of the bedpan would uh, would uh, shiver through your buttocks and um, and wake wake one up. I mean, it wouldn't be good for an insomniac, probably. But I think we may have to sort of think about the reintroduction of the bedpan in a convenient spot, you know, and then uh, and then you dump it out in the morning. I think it'd be rather perfect. I think we've become, you know, we, 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 when we get up, get out of our little bed zone, then we, um, we have trouble going back to sleep. But the bedpan under there, you're just reaching out, doing your business, and then, get, and then getting back to sleep. I think it'd be perfect. I'd be the perfect, you know, the butler bedpan is something I feel I could market um, to, um, you know, to, a, to a, new, a new age audience that may, that may look at this as, a, as something that could be um, you know, rather good idea in, in in the modern in the modern era i mean you you would be very woke because you'd be up sitting on a porcelain or silver sterling steel bedpan waking up and um i i think it could uh, it could it could help one sleep it could get one back to sleep very quickly rather than going to the bathroom or out outdoors if you still have an outdoor bathroom or anything like that which you know some people do do have the outdoor uh, facility still Maybe not the honey, the honey pot, but uh, something similar. And it made me think about one of the most infamous bedpans ever. So America's first president, uh, George Washington, has achieved a mythic status by the time of his death in 1799. 
and one of the prized possessions of George and Martha Custis Washington were treated akin to sacred relics. His furniture, swords, clothing, tableware and more were passed down through the family, but it was only attractive decorative pieces that descendants treasured as mundane an object as George Washington's bedpan staying in the family for over a century. An 18th century bedpan isn't all that different from one today. I mean, they've gone out of fashion, they don't have them today. Then it was round and made of pewter with a handle. I mean, hopefully you didn't mistake it at the beer mug ever. In an era before plumbing and bathrooms, the bedpan could be gently heated and slipped under the covers of the sickbed. The elderly, ill women and men of certain age and women of certain ages recovering uh, could use the bedpan without risk of further injury by leaving their bed. See, it's perfect. While healthy adults could use the chamber pot. Ah, the bedpan versus the chamber pot. What is the difference? Uh, that could be kept in the cabinet or attached beneath a hole in the chair seat. So it was like a primitive rustic toilet. This particular bedpan uh, by Washington was made in New York, a pewter named Frederick Bassett in the late 18th century. It was most likely used by either both George and Martha Washington at the end of their lives because of the meticulous records kept by the family. We can trace the journey back, uh, this lowly item, through the 19th century and to its return to Mount Vernon. Uh, so G George Washington never had any children, of his own, but he's quite close to Martha Washington's four grandchildren. Um, but uh, when it when it came to the process of setting up the household, when they visited Mount Vernon for the sale of the contents of the house, from the valuable furniture, kitchen tools, to bedpans, the sale was technically open to the public. I mean, most people bought blankets, carpets, mirrors, chairs, uh, dishes, um, but the bedpan may have been acquired for the next time Martha gave birth or in case of a family illness. Uh, it might have been thrown in the sundries collection during the auction, uh, but it's unlikely though the bedpan ever went on uh, ever went on display. Uh, but finally, um, the handwritten letter on faded paper in Mount Vernon's files, written around the time of the acquisition from Mott by an apparent pewter expert, finally set the record straight. I think we must identify this as a bedpan. For nearly eighty years, this is a humble bedpan of George Washington and Martha Washington and they received careful treatment of the treasured museum object and even went on display in Mount Vernon's museum. The bedpan provides tangible connections not only with the Washingtons, but, uh, but also the servants of the house at the time. Um, but moreover, the simple object testifies to the Washingtons' descendants carefully and uh, perhaps quickly stewardship of anything and anything Washington ever owned. I mean, I think it's fine to have a tinkle, but you just don't want to be dropping a bomb on there. So hundreds at a Manchester rave amid warnings about gatherings in the UK. So police in Manchester broke up an illegal rave attended by hundreds of people in the week. The city centre was left littered with empty bottles and beer cans after large crowds gathered on the steps of Castleville Bowl to hear a DJ play a live set. Police arrived at 10pm and reports suggested the rave broke up peacefully and some people said, I smell bacon, uh, where uh, police were throwing gas canisters at them. Um, local Labour councillor described the revellers as selfish and dangerous behaviour. They think they're immune and it's all over. They may have older family members who could still get COVID. Uh, residents are obeying uh, regulations will be disgusted at these raves and piss-ups. I mean, it makes you wonder though, for life after COVID, going into a club. I mean, could glow sticks now contain hand sanitizer? Just imagine breaking the glow sticks apart and sanitizing yourself with the glow stick. I mean, that'd be absolutely fantastic. I'd love some fluorescent gel on my hands as I boogie.
just with the top body, of course. I mean, a phone party could soak people in COVID destroyer foam. You know, the whole wet t-shirt thing's covered with COVID destroyer foam. Slipping and sliding, but remain COVID compliant and germ killing. I mean, you could even have a medicinal mosh pit where everybody's wearing foam sumo wrestler outfits, completely sanitized and six other apart. But whatever happens, the music always sounds better with you. Okay, so we have another game of, uh, of our little game of Tinder. Uh, today we're not picking historical figure, but we're actually picking the world's biggest liar and we're definitely going to be swiping left on this champ. So for one day a year, telling fibs come easily to the folks of Wesdale Valley, or so they tell the gullible Norman Miller at the world's biggest liar competition. Did you know that turnips in Cumbria's Wesdale Valley grow so big in Victorian times that Dale's folks used to quarry them into there for Sunday lunches and use the spaces left as sheds? Well, at least that's what I've heard on the Bridge Inn at Sandton Bridge, where 19th century pub landlord Will Ritson one entertained drinkers with tales of folk heritage of the area. That tradition returns to the pub on the 19th of November uh, when it hosts the world's biggest liar competition. Around a dozen people vie and lie for the coveted title, with each given a five minutes of fibbing. Some spin one yarn, some, uh, some as... Uh, how the Lake District is formed not only by ice or uh, volcanic uh, activity, but by large moles and eels. Or they go for multiple porkies. A recent contender boasted how he built Hadrian's Wall, then sank a Nazi submarine with skimming stones, all on the same day. There are even celebrities contenders. Sue Perkins scooped the 2006 title with a deadpan tale of how the ozone layer was really destroyed. As the first woman to win the competition, her triumph suggested that either men lie a lot more than women or women just are better at telling lies than, uh, than, than uh, the men are. Uh, or they just uh, like to stand in a pub and talk twaddle. That's men, obviously. Last year's tales include Keith Porter's revelation of watching two mermaids kissing after being dragged down into the Irish Sea by a monster. The judges, however, preferred three-time winner Mike Naylor's story of a discovering royal ancestry and being called to Buckingham Palace after cutting himself shaving and told by the paramedics he had a royal blood. Even pales in comparison to John uh, Johnny Lyre Graham, who has been crowned the world's biggest liar seven times when his best-loved yarns told of a magical ride to Scotland in a wheelie bin that went under the sea. Uh, no, really. I think a definite swipe left. Okay, so some delicious food for Eastertide. Um, I saw on Instagram somebody making a scotch egg, uh, cream egg scotch eggs. So that's a cream egg wrapped in a fudge brownie, then rolled in chocolate flakes. I mean, if that's not going to give you a sugar rush, I don't think anything will. Um, but my favorite, my favorite of all, I saw the recipe for Candice Brown's rhubarb and custard creme brulee rhubarb and custard creme brulee i'm not sure if anybody hasn't craved a trip to the pub with friends over the last year the world knows us for doing pubs and doing them properly in the uk in an iron island an old english boozer um but some of the most delicious things and candace isn't a huge creme brulee fan but you can't go wrong with rhubarb and custard creme brulee the key's getting a solid top to crack and you need a good blowtorch for that. Um, 
and a really or a really hot grill. I mean, the blowtorch is uh, is the key there. But the ingredients: 400 grams of rhubarb, zest of an orange, caster sugar, 500 milliliters of double cream, one lemon thyme sprig, four egg yolks, and demerara sugar. You wash the rhubarb, cut the rhubarb up, add with orange juice two tablespoons of sugar, heat over a medium heat till the sugar is dissolved. In the saucepan, heat the cream, lemon, thyme, orange zest over a low heat. While this is happening, uh, whisk together the egg yolks and 100 grams of sugar combined to a pale in color. When the cream is hot, pour into the egg yolk and sugar mix slowly, steadily stream, whisking continuously until everything's combined. Pour back into the saucepan over a low heat until the custard becomes thick and coats the back of the spoon. Divide the rhubarb between four ramekins and then carefully pour the custard and place in the fridge for four to eight hours. Before serving, sprinkle the demerara sugar and use a kitchen blowtorch or under a hot grill, scorch the sugar so it melts and allow the cool until it sets to hard to a caramel and breaking and penetrating that layer of caramel. Oh, mummy. All right, it's absolutely delicious. I have actually uh, done the Bon Marie uh, with the ramekins um, in a water bath on my uh, barbecue on my grill. So it can be done. You can do it in a sort of fairly sort of uh, uh, caveman type fashion. But absolutely a delicious addition to your Easter menu. So Quentin Crisp, English writer, raconteur and actor. From a conventional suburban background, Crisp wore makeup and painted his nails. During his teenage years, he worked briefly as a rent boy. He then spent 30 years as a professional model for life classes and art colleges. The interviews he gave about his unusual life attracted increasing public curiosity and it was soon sought after for his very personal views on social manners and cultivating his style. He had a one-person stage show, long-running in Britain and America, and he lived in New York City for a long time, a very, very long time indeed. So, wise, witty and wonderful, England's stately uh, homosexual, Quentin Crisp, was familiar and always delightful figure, frequently around New York's East Village during the latter part of the author's life. Crisp famously made sure his phone number was listed and would accept nearly every dinner invitation that came his way. You never turned down a free dinner. Uh, with the understanding that the tab would be picked up and Crisp would be basically do an up-close version of his one-man show. On two occasions, um, uh, when you dined with Crisp at the Odessa Diner on Avenue A, uh, there's, there, there's memories that anybody who dined with will treasure. For the majority of his life, though, Crisp lived in this two small apartments, one a bedsit in London where he lived for 41 years and steadfastly refused to clean, and the other on 3rd Street in Manhattan, and I doubt it was ever cleaned. After the first four years, the dirt doesn't get any worse, he says, uh, a line he always used in his one-man stage show. And Sting wrote a beautiful song and performed a beautiful song, Englishman in New York, a tribute to Quentin Crisp. Okay, so following on from Quentin, uh, we have another enigmatic English eccentric habit, and it's the Lim Duck Race. The duck race is the highlight of the year in the village of Lim near Warrington, Cheshire. A thousand yellow rubber ducks are launched into the water of Lim Dingle. We're not sure uh, why this is the name. Racing each other in a gripping battle for the title of Lim Duck Race Winner. It's all for charity, but the three lucky people whose duck pass the finish line will win £100 each. So I've already given you, ladies and mantelpieces, a lovely idea for a movie to watch. Carry on, Doctor. Or any of the carry on movies. Carry on uh, camping. But another one. Very strong, independent movie from 1986 with Paul McGann and uh, Richard E. Grant and the inimitable Richard Griffiths as Uncle Monty. 
with Nell and I. Absolutely fabulous movie about two failing actors in the late 60s who go off to um, with Nell's uncle's retreat in Penrith. Uh, two city boys out in the Welsh countryside and all sorts of comedy, naughtiness, drug taking, boozing ensues. Absolute delight of a movie and what a soundtrack, including Along the Watchtower, which is a cover. A Bob, Bob Dylan wrote the song, but it's a cover by Jimi Hendrix. So somebody sent me a rather interesting reel on Instagram. It's basically shoe pastry uh, that looks like a penis, um, and they cover it in milk chocolate that's dripping down, and then um, drip white chocolate all over the head of the phallic shoe pastry object. Um, so I mean, it, it, I mean, it could be a holiday treat for Granny, uh, you know, Uncle Mason if he's so inclined. It's it's absolutely absolutely ridiculous. So anyway, if uh, if your if your delight is on uh, shoe pastry shaped penises with uh, dipped in chocolate, that could be your Easter celebration. And experts are forced to deny in today's Trumple Trombone the rumour that Suez Canal incident was due to an ancient pharaoh curse. Some social media users are convinced that a planned parade of 22 mummies through Cairo has awakened an ancient curse. Uh, from the ever-given mishap where a giant cargo ship became wedged in the Suez Canal causing global chaos, a series of strange incidents and accidents have taken place in Egypt over the last couple of weeks. So many people have blamed the chain coincidence of the legendary curse of the pharaohs that a renowned Egyptologist, Zal Hawass, has been forced to step in to deny the rumours. On the 3rd of April, the pharaoh's giant uh, golden parade will see 22 mummies, including that of King Ramesses II, Second uh, Ra, King Tamothus, King Seti, uh, and also the first Queen Hepeshut and Queen Meret Amun from the Egyptian Museum in Tahrir, the new uh, National Museum of Egyptian, uh, Egyptian Civilization. Many believe that the plans for the 40-minute event in the Egyptian capital has already awakened the ancient curse. What an absolute shite show. Definitely King Tut-Tut. And here's a handy reminder that a holiday location might look like a per- picture perfect on film, phone and camera, but in life uh, it's not quite so good. In the age of Instagram, many holiday goers look to document their trip abroad with a series of photos and videos to reminisce on. One woman was left in stitches after an attempt to record the fun moment walking into a cave uh, was ruined by the realization. She had discovered a cool cave on the beach, but in fact, uh, for the last 10 years, it was being used as a bathroom and it smelt like a pisser. Uh, little did she know that it was a historical ancient cave of caca. And village warned of outsiders leaving cheese on cars in a very British note. A note shared in Fangos, Yorkshire, warns residents that they have reports of cheese being smeared on the cars. It see, it's happening everywhere. So out of keeping with this unusual behaviour of local people, the note claimed it had been distributed in a small village warning residents of incidents of cheese vandalism in the area has gone viral. I mean, this is like the obelisks appearing. Now cheese is being smeared everywhere. The message-headed antisocial behaviour Issues are alert to report the cheese slices have been smeared over the windscreens of cars in Fangos, Yorkshire, and has been compared to something from the film Hot Fuzz. A picture of the note was shared on the casual UK Reddit page with life in small Yorkshire village. Uh, there's no apparent motive. But regrettably, active vandalism occurred in Fangos recently. A number of cars had cheese slices smeared across the windscreens in the centre of the village. 
This mature mystery certainly has a whiff about it. Maybe the butler did it, or possibly the stinking bishop. Cheesy time. So we've got King Kong versus Godzilla at the moment, but I wanted to think about maybe other great showdown in movies that need to happen. So you've had Freddy versus Jason, which was a camp classic. How about Kermit the Frog versus Miss Piggy? I'd love to see that. Or Fuzzy Bear versus Oscar the Grouch in some sort of showdown. Positivity versus negativity. Or how about the Golden Girls falling out over sharing Werther's originals or other old-time candy? Um, I mean, there aren't any monsters in sport anymore. I mean, whatever happened to the Godzilla of tennis tantrums John McEnroe? I mean, I'd love to see him and Ilya Nastasi face out in a movie about uh, sporting monsters. I mean, they could even make Meghan and Harry into a monster movie with Prince Andrew, the creature from the Marmalade Lagoon with the crust cut off. Many of you have been growing your hair over the last year. I mean, I I like my hair a little bit longer on top and shorter at the side. I'm very lucky to be having uh, hair appointments. Uh, my mother did say that she's going to go to the barber and have a short back and sides or get the base and put on the head and cut round when in the UK they're allowed to have uh, haircuts again. And my dad's hair, um, I mean, he could actually have a grey man bun right now. Uh, that's how long his hair's getting. Um, but I was thinking, I mean, you know, in, in Agatha Christie's Poirot, Poirot, Poirot often had a male hairnet and also a moustache net as well. I mean, why not introduce... I mean, if you're beautifully coiffering your hair, you get it into a beautiful uh, quiff or troubadour, pompadour type of situation, beautiful quiff at the front. I mean, why not use a beautiful hairnet to keep that all in place so you don't have to actually redo the the barn at the next day? I mean, I think that would be a a fantastic way of, uh, you know, resolving any issues of uh, bed hair in the morning. I mean, that would be fantastic. Um, and do you think that uh, do you think that moustache wax has become more prevalent now men are more hair suit are people sort of waxing the ends of their moustache I've seen a few of them around here in Colorado I mean it's like a sort of hipster thing to do that wax moustache but I'm wondering if uh, you know if if, 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 if moustache wax is taken off if it's more expensive than it was five years ago to wax one's moustache these days with uh, so many men uh, growing the Barbarossas in the handlebar moustaches. Thanks very much for listening to the podcast. We're soon going to be going. Um, a couple more uh, a couple more minutes of me rambling on, and maybe if you're listening on the Spotify side, a couple of tunes. Uh, so I have got my playlist uh, on uh, on Spotify at the moment. That's accompanying. This could be an audio track on all other platforms, but on Spotify, there is music combined. So if you want a little uh, a little sort of uh, you know me holding your hands for a maze of marvelous music, then uh, go and listen on Spotify. But if you just want you know to hear my dulcet tones with nothing interrupted, then you can listen all the other platforms for the audio version of it. At Keep Cheese on Twitter, Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese Instagram. Um, and um, across all the platforms, as I said. So uh, thank you very much for uh, listening uh, this week. Nobody does it better than you guys. And we finish with a beautiful poem today by Billy Collins. If ever there was a spring day so perfect, so uplifted by a warm, intermittent breeze that is made to want to throw open all the windows to the house and unlatch the door to the canary cage 
indeed rip the little door from its jam, a day when the cool brick pass and the garden bursting with pennies seemed so etched in sunlight that you felt it taking a hammer to the glass paperweight on the living room end table, releasing the inhabitants from their snow-covered cottage so you could walk out, holding hands and squinting into this larger dome of blue-white, well, today is just that kind of day. Well, here in Colorado, it is it's snow in the UK uh, for the next couple of days, maybe on my birthday as well. Uh, so have a lovely, uh, lovely week. Uh, thank you very much for listening to the podcast. And um, we're going to we're going to finish on the musical version anyway. If not, you're going to have to re- sort of remember the video and remember the song. But it's a sort of long intro. So you can go make yourself a cup of tea, maybe a gin and tonic or, or maybe a pina colada. I mean, we had a pina colada earlier, but uh, on the on the podcast. But uh, you've got enough time here because it really does feel like a, the beginning of a summer's day, almost like a club Tropicana. Cheerio.